good afternoon. Uh, great to see you here. My name's Simon Walker, uh, and uh, I'm taking this seminar on learning to minister like Jesus. So if you're uh, not here for that, then stay anyway. Uh, and if you are here for that, well done. Thank you very much for being here. Particularly appreciate uh, coming out on a Saturday, glorious Saturday afternoon like this, uh, and coming to a seminar at four in the afternoon. Um, so I'm very grateful uh, for you being here, and I hope uh, you'll be uh, rewarded. Um, I became a Christian uh, at the ripe old age of 17, and uh, I was in a, uh, a Church of England school at the time, but I'd never really understood the gospel, and um, I uh, was taken on by some friends to uh, a Baptist church uh, and heard the gospel uh, and became a follower of Jesus. And we started um, a little uh, group in our school uh, just for the sixth form, and um, we started to share our faith and pray and do things. And um, we've been doing that for a few months, got to the end of lower sixth, went into upper sixth, uh, and a new wave of, of guys came in to uh, the lower sixth. And there was a, a friend of ours in that group called Stuart. And um, Stuart was constantly unwell, glandular fever, various kind of uh, ailments, uh, seemed to be popping pills all the time. And... Um, We'd begun by then to, to read our Bibles and realize that exciting things seem to happen around Jesus. People seem to get healed and set free uh, and all that kind of thing. And it was, you know, I was new to all this, didn't know much about it, you know, had no Christian background. Um, and so my, my background knowledge of the stories of Jesus, the stories of the Old Testament were, were pretty non-existent. Um, I hadn't attended lots of Sunday school or any of that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm working from a, a fairly blank canvas. Uh, and um, we decided we were going to pray. A little group of us decided we wanted to pray for Stuart. But we didn't really know how to do it. Um, so I talked to my Bible study group leader in my Baptist church. Uh, and he explained a few things to me vaguely. Uh, and well, to be honest with you. Uh, but the, I didn't know much. So I didn't have the, the frame of reference to sort of... Uh, plug it into to understand. Um, but he talked about laying on of hands, and I saw, I observed it in, in the small group that I was in, the, the Bible study group I was in, I'd observed it once or twice. So I kind of got the rough gist. And someone had once talked about uh, casting out demons and that kind of thing. And, and uh, again, I, I'd never witnessed it, although I'd seen some strange things. And um, I remember when a strange thing happened in my small group, we were sent out of the room because we were young Christians. And uh, somebody, we had to go and pray upstairs with the children while something happened. So it was all a little bit spooky and a little bit odd. So we, we said we'd get some pizza uh, and hang out one night. Uh, we didn't tell Stuart that we intended to pray for him. Uh, we were that bold uh, and that courageous. Uh, and, uh, and as the conversation went on, uh, we said, oh, Stuart, we've been wondering um, if we should pray for you. You're often ill and unwell and... Uh, and that kind of thing. And he was, he was quite open to the whole idea, really. He was more excited about it than we were. We were more petrified. Um, so we decided we'd, we'd pray a little while. And, and eventually we got around to, to laying hands on Stuart. We laid hands on Stuart and prayed all our best prayers. Uh, and all the prayers that the people we thought were really cool Christians prayed. And uh, we just prayed over him and, you know, tried to, tried to kind of figure out what to do. Um, we knew so little. Um, and we prayed, uh, and he got a bit 
sort of sweaty and shaky and we got a bit sweaty and shaky and uh, I don't know whether that was the Holy Spirit or nervousness or or whatever and he seemed to just you know then go go peaceful and calm and, and sort of almost pass out I didn't know what that was or what was going on um, but something was happening um, and I knew that that my some of my friends back in my Bible study group were praying because I spoke to them the next day at church and said oh, we were praying and someone had a picture and of a picture of a filter being put on this man's blood. So I thought, that was interesting, that's helpful. I didn't really know what that meant, because, you know, I, I didn't understand anything about pictures, I'd never had one. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm a young Christian, and I don't understand any of this. Um, but on Monday, we come into school, uh, into sixth form, and Stuart is as bright as I've ever seen him. He's, his health seems to have taken a, a significant step he, he was saying, I'm, I'm 90% better. I, I had a couple of paracetamol once, but apart from that, I haven't got any, I'm not taking any drugs. I'm, I'm feeling great. Uh, I plan to be here all week. I'm not going to be going home for doing half a week of studies or anything like that. And, and he was better pretty much from then on. And that, for me, was my introduction to the idea that maybe some of the stuff that happens in our Bibles still happens. And I, I, that was a new concept. So you've got to understand, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not from a, a supernatural background. I'm from Yorkshire, you know. <laughs> Which is, yeah, yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah, you know, so, you know, those things don't happen. You know, we, we, we were straight, you know, Jeffrey Boycott, straight back, the whole thing. So I, I, this is all unfamiliar territory to me. But I began to sort of explore and wonder what was going on. Now what I want to do in this seminar is try and, and give a framework, a theological, biblical, thank you so much sweetheart, try and, and, and give a, a theological biblical framework to trying to get our understanding of how these things can connect, of how the supernatural connects to scripture and how when we, we pray for someone who's unwell or we think about something like that, uh, and we say, oh, let's all lay on hands. Where does that fit theologically? Have we got a good grounding that gives us confidence and faith to begin to step out more and more in seeing the kingdom of God advance supernaturally? So that's kind of what I'm hoping and aspiring to do uh, today. So you're going to need your Bibles. You're going to need some access to a Bible. Um, and we're going to jump around quite a lot around the New Testament. Um, so initially we'll start in Luke chapter 4. I hope you're up for a bit of, uh, a bit of rifling around your Bible um, this afternoon. So in Luke chapter 4, we get the manifesto statement of Jesus. Jesus explains to us what it's all going to be about. Uh, Luke sets the whole thing out fairly systematically, fairly organized. Uh, an orderly account, he describes it. And Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes from multiple passages in Isaiah. Uh, it's largely from one uh, part of Isaiah in 61, but he intersects the odd phrase from other parts of Isaiah uh, to capture something of what's happening. So let's read this familiar passage in Luke uh, chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So 
What Jesus is doing is that he's taking an Old Testament passage, which he now, pre- he now gives an explanation from, he preaches from, to explain something of what's happening to himself. Now, what's happened in, earlier on in Luke chapter 3 is that the Holy Spirit has come down on Jesus and anointed him. John baptized him in water, and then as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son who I love, with him I'm well pleased, and the Spirit fell upon Jesus. The next thing that happens after the Spirit falling is Jesus goes into the synagogue, has a temptation experience, and then after the temptation experience, he comes into the synagogue, and he explains what's happened. And he explains that I'm anointed for a purpose. The Spirit has come on me for a reason. There's an explanation for the Spirit coming, which is a theological explanation. I will now explain it to you. And he reads that passage from Isaiah, from the scrolls, and then he gives explanation to it. Now, if we then turn to the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, we see this in a more dramatic form. Mark's gospel is much more concertina that is still down essentials. So Mark chapter 1, we get the Spirit coming upon Jesus in verses 9 through uh, to 13. And then we we, we see Jesus emerging from the temptation. And he comes in verse 14 after the Spirit's come on him. There's no quote of Isaiah. We have to read until go to Luke to get the quote from Isaiah. But after this, it says, verse 14 in John chapter 1, Uh, Sorry, Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And that's how Mark introduces the ministry of Jesus. So Mark introduces the ministry of Jesus as the king's back in town and he, he wants to bring his rule. Turn round and follow him. The kingdom's here. Turn around. Get in line. Follow the king. And then we get a series of events that demonstrate something of the power and authority that Jesus has in his words. So Jesus, first of all, calls disciples. Verse 17, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And then in verse 21, he enters Capernaum and he drives out a demon. So verse 23, just then a man in, the, in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The question, have you come to destroy us? The answer, yes. I've come to destroy you. I've come to overturn your, your leader's rule with my father's rule. And he casts out the demon. The people are amazed. They asked each other, what is this? And read, listen to what it says in verse 27. What is this? A new teaching and with authority he gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly. So the, the onlookers equate the words and the works as one thing a teaching with authority. So Jesus' words and works are wrapped up together as a demonstration of the authority he carries by the Spirit upon him and the word that comes out of his mouth. 
that Jesus ministers with power and authority to bring deliverance. So, verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went to James and John's home, and the home of Simon and Andrew, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told her about Jesus. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her. The fever left, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after the sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So Mark introduces Jesus, anointed by the Spirit, hearing the Father's endorsement, this is my son who I love with him, I'm well pleased, and introduces him as the kingdom has come, Boom, teaching, deliverance, healing, the calling of men and women to follow him. The, the, the personal care of a friend's mother-in-law and the dramatic impact upon huge crowds. What a start. What an amazing start. That's the way Mark introduces Jesus to us. Now, that's exciting. All of a sudden, power wrapped in love has walked into town, and it's a whole new day. That's wonderful. But what does that have to do with the ongoing ministry of the church today? Was that simply just fantastic because Jesus is fantastic? Or is it more than just an historically accurate account of what Jesus is, is and did? Is it actually an example to us of what supernatural living is like? of what living under the anointing of the Spirit can be like? That's a question we need to have more than just a hope so answer to. We actually need to be able to respond to that question because that will then enable us to read our New Testaments as an instruction manual for supernatural living rather than an exciting story about our hero. It becomes a whole new agenda for us. So one of the ways we can do that is to look at the way Luke writes. So if you turn back into Luke... We're going to note some things about Luke and Acts. So all of you are thinking, oh, I wish I brought my Bible and not my phone now. Um, I'm going to have to live with this. So in Luke, we're going to look at the comparison between the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Acts opens up with the phrase, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and teach. So there's two implications as Luke introduces his second volume. Luke is his, Luke, Luke's Gospel is the first volume. Acts is the second volume. He says the second volume is a continuing to describe the ongoing ministry of Jesus. But Jesus is only in like the first chapter. But he says this volume is about the ongoing ministry of Jesus. So, if the book of Acts is about the ongoing ministry of Jesus, what the church does is the ongoing ministry of Jesus, then we could look at that the other way and say the first volume, Luke's Gospel, the ministry of the church can began, and we can see that in what Jesus was doing. So Jesus was the beginning of the church. The church is the dwelling place of God in the earth. So God's dwelling amongst us. So Jesus is a picture of what the church can be. In the same way that the book of Acts is an ongoing account of what Jesus was doing. So we begin to see that there's a, somehow a connection. Now Luke wants us to, to grasp that. So we can see parallels in the way Luke is written and Luke writes the book of Acts. 
And those parallels give us an indication that Luke wants us to read them sort of one alongside the other, that one speaks of the other. So in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is ministering. And in response to John's ministry, in chapter 3, verse 10, we get this phrase, what shall we do? When Peter stands up and the Spirit falls on him in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, and people respond to his, the, the, the Pentecost sermon and the first coming of the Spirit, they say, what shall we do? And Luke wants us to see that John the Baptist, the beginning and the inauguration passages in Luke's gospel are very similar to the beginning, the inauguration stories at the beginning of Acts. So in Luke, in Luke, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when Jesus is baptized, he's portrayed as praying. In Acts 1, verse 4, just before the Spirit falls on the church, the church is praying, Acts 1, 14. And then in, in Luke 3, verse 22, there's visionary phenomena. They see something. I see heaven open. I see a dove. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13, the Spirit falls and they're, they're speaking in tongues and, and, and the, the fulfillment of the idea that, that young men will dream dreams and, and, and older people will see visions. It's the same sort of phenomena appearing. So Luke says, look, the Spirit falls. There's phenomena appearing. Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter Isaiah 61 in Luke 4 about the Spirit falling on him. This is why the Spirit's come. It fulfills the Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes the prophet Joel. This is again the fulfillment of Scripture. The Spirit's fallen. Do you see the parallels? What happened to Jesus? The Spirit falls. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. It's a very similar inauguration, very similar beginning. In the, in the sermon that Jesus brings, or the way he writes, the way he quotes um, Isaiah 61 in Luke 4, he uses the expression that, it's, that we translate as, as a year of God's favor or the year of jubilee. The same phrase is used in Acts 2 verse 38, uh, the same Greek word, aphesis, and that's translated the forgiveness of sins. So the, the Luke actually, even though it's our translators to give it proper understanding, give it a slightly nuanced translation, Luke uses exactly the same language to describe. And then following on from the inauguration, uh, the coming of the Spirit, the declaration through a, a reading of Old Testament Scripture, followed by a sermon, happens to Jesus, happens to the church, we then see signs and wonders. So miracles follow on from the coming of the Spirit. So in Luke 4, 31, all the way through chapter 5, there's miracles and power and breakthrough. Following on in Acts 2, verse 43, it says the church was full of awe. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 10, we see the first significant detailed recorded healing of, of Peter and John going to pray at the gate beautiful. Following on, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, right at the end and into chapter 6, Jesus gets opposition. In Acts chapter 4, verse 1 onwards, the church begins to experience opposition. So we see that Luke is deliberately causing us to see a parallel between the story of Jesus and the story of the church. Now that's just not theologically interesting. No, I like theological things, but that's not just theologically interesting. It's deliberate on the part of this author to cause us to realize that what started with Jesus continues with the church. That the Spirit, Christ in Jesus, 
Now comes the body of believers to become the body of the Christ, the anointed one. As Jesus was anointed, as the Spirit came on Jesus, so the Spirit now comes on the believers. So we have the, the, the body of Christ, the, the incarnation anointed. Now we have the Christians, the little Jesuses, anointed by the very same Spirit. Why? The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. That's what happens with the preaching of the gospel and deliverance of demons, the healing of the sick, the bringing of justice, the declaring of the good news. It's the very same agenda. So begin to see, hang on a minute, that means that if Jesus is a man anointed for purpose, operating under the power of the Spirit, and the church is the one new man, the body of Christ, anointed by the Spirit, joined in love, experiencing salvation, and anointed for purpose, then as the church, we can look at the ministry of Jesus as well as the ministry of the first Christians and say, hmm, what can we learn from how they did things? How does this now become not just a really exciting book about my hero, but a training manual for the church? Is there anything further that we can draw from this? So let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Because in Luke chapter 9, we see the training program in full swing. So I'm advocating the position that Luke, that Jesus, sorry, in Luke's gospel, but in all the other gospels, I'm advocating the position that part of what's going on is that Jesus is deliberately training the apostles and his early followers to continue the ministry that he received from the Spirit sent by the Father in the same way that he did, so that in that continuity we see some significant things. At the moment, my iPad is crashing, so we will have to do this um, from memory. Okay, so Luke chapter 9. Turn to that for me. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing on the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whenever, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the town. If the people do not uh, welcome you, shake off the dust off your feet. When you leave that town as a testimony, against, leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So what's happening here? Jesus is clearly gathering his team and he gives them specific instructions. They've been watching him do it for a while. You know, they've been sort of doing a bit of crowd control, a bit of stewarding, check the pink band as you come in, that kind of thing. And watching Jesus, Jesus has been doing all the preaching, Jesus has been doing all the laying on of hands, he's been all casting out all the demons, you know, he's been dealing with the religious authorities, he's been, he's been the one that's been in the front line. But now, he speaks to them, and he calls the twelve, he calls the, the core team that he's been working with, and he calls them to, to be with him. And, and he speaks to them and he says, I've given you power and authority. So I've given you power, dynamite, dunamis is the Greek word, and authority, exousia, to be able to conduct this ministry. So <coughs> power is like the gun. I've got power, bang, shoot. Authority is like the policeman who stands in front of the truck. You know, small policeman, big truck, in a direct head-on collision, who's going to win? 
the truck. But the policeman, because he has the uniform in the hand, goes like that. What happens? The truck stops. Why does the truck stop? Because he has been given authority. He has authority from the government to be able to stop the truck. If the truck drives over the policeman, the, poli the, the truck driver ends in jail. So he's not going to do that. He's going to stop when the guy puts up his hand. He has authority. So Jesus gives power and authority. See how Jesus says to the church, all authority has been given to me on he in heaven and on earth, therefore you go and make disciples. Jesus passes on authority. So Jesus says, now I'm giving you the badge. You've watched me. I've had the badge. Now I'm giving you the badge. I want you to go and do the same stuff. And he gives them authority to do particular things. He sends them out to preach the kingdom. That's where Jesus started, what Jesus did from the beginning. He said to preach the kingdom, to heal the sick. So he sends them out. And he gives them some specific details. On this trip, it's a trip of faith. So don't take any money. Don't take your sleeping bag. Don't take your tent. Just wherever you're welcome. Middle Eastern culture. Normal culture is to welcome anybody that comes into the village and treat them like a guest, an honored guest. So expectation will be okay on that. So go into and wherever they receive, bless the house. Bring what you carry. Go to a house. Anybody sick in the house? I carry authority and power from God. Let me tell you about the new king in town and pray. And Jesus gives them the authority to do that. And he sends them out. And they go out and they begin to pop, take part in the ministry of Jesus. They're learning on the job. Now, Luke then continues the narrative by taking us to another major miracle event. This time it's a crowd about the, well, a little bit smaller. Sorry, we're a little bit smaller at West Point than this crowd. 5,000 people, maybe it was a lot more than that because it says 5,000 men. But, um, so it's a crowd much bigger than we have on site. <coughs> and um, if we read from verse 10, it says, When the apostles returned, they reported what they'd done. Then he took them and they withdrew themselves from the town of Bathsheba. Uh, but crowds learned, Bathsheba, sorry, uh, crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So Jesus, they, re they return from the missionary journey. They're really excited. They're really successful. Jesus takes them away, a bit of debrief, but large crowds gather. Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He teaches them about the kingdom of God, and he heals all those. He's doing exactly the same thing. Whatever he sent the church out to do, that's 12, is the beginning of the church. He sends them out, brings them back, and then he starts continuing that, and they're back with him doing the things. Later in the afternoon, verse 12, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and found food and lodgings because we are here in a remote place. He replied, you give them something to eat. Okay. Healing. Yeah, we had a good trip. We saw a few people healed. That was great. And they listened to us. And we saw God provide. We had that experience of faith. You know, you can feel James and John are feeling a little bit bold, a little bit excited. Oh, we can do the stuff. We can do the stuff. She said, okay, great. If you could just feed those 10,000 over there. He ramps it up. The training program goes to a whole new level you give them jesus said you give them something to eat they answered uh-uh they step out of faith they haven't picked up on the faith they gained from being sent out they're still growing their faith thinking oh what, 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 what do we do so they say 
We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all the crowd, which is going to cost us 5,000 who are here, 5,000 men who are here, how are we going to pay for this? But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50. So Jesus hits administration. And the disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets fulls of broken pieces that were left over. Okay, so I want, if you ever wondered, you know, thought to yourself, if I could go back in time, I'd like go to go back to that moment. This is one of my moments, because I want to know how it happened. I want to know, did Jesus pray, and then all of a sudden it sort of multiplied in front of him, a bit like that Harry Potter thing when they were inside that, you know, the cave and they touched the gold. Did it just multiply, or did he give little bits of bread out to the apostles, and it multiplied, and they just took it to one person and came back like Elijah, and the, the, the thing never ran out? Or did it multiply in the apostles' hands? Because somewhere between Jesus praying and the apostles, you know, founding Deliveroo, the 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 miracles taking place and the apostles are involved. So I think, oh my word! Can you imagine it? First of all, first journey. Oh, here's a little bit. Go back. Here's a little bit. Go back. Oh, here's a bigger portion. Oh, here's more. And they start running, and there's more, and there's more. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine after you've fed about 500 people and there's still food left? You're thinking this is getting fun. You know, it's getting fun, and then there's that. There's yeah, form a queue. It's coming here. You can just catch. Here, have a loaf. You know, it's just, they're just getting really excited because it, they're in the midst of a faith emboldening experience of God's presence, where faith is growing. Something's happening. Oh my word! Not only have I healed, healed a few people, seen a few people healed, and I've cast out some demons. I've I've shared the kingdom, and some people start to turn to God. But now, uh, Jesus is teaching me something else i've gone from unbelief to faith jesus is taking me on a journey of growing my faith in seeing the kingdom of god come but it's not about me it's about the people and it's about god it's not making me look good it's making god look good and the people that are being cared for so it's not my name i mean i'm, I'm the you know I'm the guy who's constantly feeling inept and inadequate, but God's getting glorified and people are getting blessed. Begin to see something exciting happening. And then Luke takes the narrative on a little bit. Hello, hello. My word. Anything can happen in this seminar, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's not working for those listening on the recording, is it? Um, <laughs> after this moment, we see the again from... from Public to private, verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private. Now Luke puts this story in an important place for us. He's not slapdash in his collecting of the various parts of the um, biography that he's writing. So he says, once when Jesus was praying in a private place, he asked the disciples, who do the crowd say I am? Let's have some feedback. While you were distributing the bread, what were they saying? Who do the crowd say I am? Uh, some say you're John the Baptist because John's just been beheaded. Few, a few verses earlier, John's just been dead. John the Baptist back from dead. Some say Elijah. Others that one of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. And then Jesus turns to the 12, and he's not bothered about the results of the market research. He was bothered about the 12 guys in front of him. And he turns to them and says, but who do you say I am? And Peter, speaking on behalf of the group, says, you are the anointed 
You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus gets very excited. He says, wow, this is amazing. And if the Mark in, in Matthew's version, he talks about, I'm going to build my church. Here he's just getting excited. He says, look, we're going to keep that on the wraps. But you know that that's who I am. And all of a sudden, the disciples are on a faith journey in terms of themselves and how God's going to use them. And a faith journey about it dawning on them how amazing this Jesus is. You really are the one. You're the anointed one. You're the one that all the Old Testament prophets talked about. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the gift from God to an oppressed people. We think we found him. And they're getting excited. It's catching them up. And Jesus, in that intimate moment, discloses who he is. Then the Father steps in. God the Father begins steps in and just does something unusually says verse 28 about eight days after jesus said this so a week on or so just over he took peter and john and james with him and they went to a mountain to pray and as he was praying his appearance his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning two men moses and elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with jesus and spoke about his departure which is about to bring fulfillment in jerusalem peter and his companions were very sleepy But when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. And as the men were leaving, leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Didn't really know what he was saying. Uh, While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they, they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice spoke, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at the time what they had seen. So we get this amazing moment in the story where the focus is back in on training the team. Just just see the journey that we're going on here. You see the journey that Jesus is taking this group of his followers on a journey to learn about faith and ministry and the revelation of an understanding of the true identity of Jesus. That Jesus is taking them on this journey. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, that's true. I'm going to show you more. Let's go see Dad. Up the mountain, the spirit, the cloud of God's presence comes down. God's voice is heard. Peter is thinking, oh my word, let's, let's, let's make a campsite. You know, just, just, just do something. I just want to do something. I don't know what to do. I just want to do something. God excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it gets that, doesn't it? You think, I'm just so excited. I don't know what to do, but I'm just excited. You know, I'm both so excited. So he goes to that, and, 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 and then you're thinking, my word, this is so wonderful. And then it goes right back down to earth, verse 37, the next day. So, I mean, you must be on such a high. It's the next day. When they came from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man called out, teacher, I begged you to, I beg you to look at my son. This is my only child. So, Big issue, my only child. This is my pension. Because my, my only child inherits, but he also looks after me in my old age. So it's a serious thing. It's my only child. It's the one I love. He's, he's, he's my only child. And the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it's destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Verse 41, telling moment. 
O unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? Bring your son here. Okay, question. Who are the unbelieving and perverse generation? Who is Jesus fed up with? The desperate dad or the disciples? Disciples. He's not telling the desperate dad, not telling him off for his unbelief. He's telling his disciples off. They've just been on a missionary journey, cast out demons and healed the sick. They've seen 5,000 plus fed from some packed lunch. Been up, they've seen who Jesus is, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Some of them have been up a mountain and heard God's voice. And now they can't get the demon out. Oh, how long do I have to put up with these people? Isn't that reassuring? Are you reassured? That Jesus kept going with them? He's going to keep going with me because do you realize that sometimes these 12 guys are like a comedy act? Do you think this is the beginning? This is is the first apostolic team. You know, you sometimes think, oh, what about our apostolic team? Well, these guys are, you know, you're thinking, my word, it's okay. If you feel like you just have no idea what you're doing, welcome to the team. (laughs) They had no idea. I mean, you'd think, my word, if I'd have been in Luke 9, I'm sure I could have got the demon out. Because I'd have been there. You know, I've learned the lesson. Oh, now, Simon, you're exactly the same as these guys. But praise God, Jesus is patient and deliberate and wants to bring the kingdom and wants to bring it through people. Wants us to be part of his team. Wants us to be caught up in what he's doing. So... Even when the boy was coming, the demon threw him, verse 42, threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at this, what Jesus did, he says to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to say to you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what he meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it till, uh, as they were afraid to ask him. An argument then, just love this, an argument breaks out amongst the disciples about which one of them is the greatest. I cast out five. I cast out seven. I saw the guy in the wheelchair get up. Oh, yeah, but I saw the guy on the map get up. (laughs) I did the blind eye. You know, I'm blind eye man. Blind eye apostle me. Oh, yeah, you may be blind eye, but I did. The guy who couldn't speak and couldn't hear. I'm top of the tree. You can imagine it, can't you? And they're getting into this kind of argument of who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus then says, then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child, cue, it didn't come in time, did it? <laughs> whoever, whoever welcomes this, this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who has sent me. For he who is least among you will be the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't part of commission. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Jesus is saying, come on, this is not a tight franchised operation. The kingdom of God needs to expand. The kingdom of God needs to grow. Then we just skip to the beginning of chapter 10. He's just told them the cost of following him. The end of chapter 9 and then chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out by two by two ahead of him to every town and place. He told them the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest fields. Go, I'm sending you like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace on this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in the house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of you at this town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that, on that day for Sodom than for that town. So Jesus, at the beginning of chapter 9, sends out 12. Beginning of chapter 10, he sends out 72 others. So that's 84 in all that are now equipped to go and teach the kingdom, to walk by faith, to heal the sick. So Jesus is multiplying his ministry. He's multiplying his kingdom. He's developing a training scheme. So now he's got 84 people who've been on mission with him, who are learning to do the things that he did. He's sending them out. So what do we learn from this? Luke is deliberately showing us a pattern. He's deliberately showing us that what Jesus was doing, he then began to train the fledgling church to do exactly the same thing. They were to carry the message. They were to do it in his manner. And they were to bring his power, his rule, his authority the kingdom of God to bear in every situation which didn't look like the kingdom of God. In every situation where the king was not ruling, they were to bring the authority of the kingdom to demonstrate his love and his compassion. Jesus was often moved with compassion. He's catching them up and releasing them to continue that ministry. There's a point in the book of Acts when the ministry of Jesus, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, is, is summed up in this way. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's in which sermon, which is being given by Peter, and which the ministry of Jesus is described. It's clearly true. In Luke 4, it says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illnesses, laying hands on each of them and healed them. Moreover, demons came out with many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But it's also true of the early church. Acts 5, People brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Acts 19.11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to those who were ill, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. So I'm, what I'm trying to show you is what Jesus did, the apostles did with Jesus, and then the apostles did after Jesus had ascended and the Spirit had come. There's an ongoing pattern. There's an ongoing dynamic. That's what it's an aspect of what it means for the kingdom of God to come, for the kingdom of God to be amongst us. 
So we need to have that level of, I believe, theological conviction, theological understanding, because the Bible calls us as ambassadors. It calls us representatives. We are the ambassadors of Jesus on the earth. The church is an outpost of heaven on the earth. We are sent for many things, but one of the things we're sent for is to bring the continuing ministry of Jesus where that has not been experienced. One more example, and then I'll draw a few conclusions for us. Mark chapter 5. Are you okay with this? Still here? Doing okay? A few nods. I appreciate those. Thank you. <laughs> Mark chapter 5, verse 39. We'll pick up verse 37. Um, mm, it's a, a child is, is dying. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. People in the Middle East 2,000 years ago know what death looks like. You know, the, the, the infant mortality rate was very high. They're laughing at Jesus because we know what death looks like. It's a regular occurrence. It isn't a rare thing. It's a regular thing. They're laughing at him. But he put them all out. Note that. He clears the room. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples and went with him, who, who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. What a dramatic healing. Incredible. Notice what Jesus did. Takes a few friends, clears the crowd, keeps the parents. Acts chapter 9. And uh, picking it up uh, at verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated is Dorcas who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they, went, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he, was, when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards a dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, helped her to his feet. Then he called the believers in the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Do you notice the similarity? You notice the approach that Jesus thinking, hang, you know, Peter thinking, hang on a minute, I've seen this before. Let's get rid of the crowd, get rid of the commotion, get rid of the unbelief, get rid of the fear. Clears the room. He settles himself, takes a moment to pray. So he's praying to God, and then he speaks to the death. Get up. 
speaks to Tab- Tabitha, whatever her name is, Dorcas, Tabitha, get up. And then he helps her up. So he speaks and then he has to act. He helps her up. And in that, clear the room, pray, speak, act, lift, boom. She's alive. Then he gets the crowd back in. Look, here you are. It's exactly what Jesus did with the the, uh, synagogue ruler's daughter. She's there. Everyone said she's dead. There's wailing. There's grieving. There's mourning. It's you know this is this is a this is a, this is a Middle Eastern culture. Mourning is loud, and we're showing you know that they were sh- the, the top of the showing the garments. The parents there. She's a twelve-year-old girl, little girl. She's oh no. There's a life all before her. Clears the clears the crowd. Has his friends with him. Peter, Peter, what learn? Not long. You'll be doing this. Watch, learn. Little girl, get up. Lifts her up, gives her back to her mum and dad. Same way Peter gives her back to the other w- other women. See the parallel that Jesus not only was bringing mercy, and grace, such deep love to that family, he's also catching up his disciples because he wants them to continue his ministry. He wants them to learn to do the same thing. And Peter learned it's not the method. But somehow, in walking in the steps of Jesus, he's finding faith. Not faith in the method, faith in the one that taught him. He's a disciple. So he's doing what his teacher did. He's copying his teacher. He's walking it out with his teacher. He, he speaks. He prays. He speaks. He lifts her. She's alive. Jesus sent out the 12. He sent out the 72. Ultimately, in the end of Matthew's gospel, he sends out all of us. We call it the Great Commission. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, we have the wonderful, beautiful commission of the church. Jesus says, verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, authority, notice that, all authority has been given. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I think we've been hearing some wonderful things uh, from Guy, the Beatitudes that he did the other night. Amazing stuff. That's certainly what Jesus taught us, commanded us to do. But didn't he also teach us to do some other things as well as that? Didn't he train the 12, teach them to go house to house, to bless, to heal, to bring the kingdom? Didn't he send the 72 others to do the same? Didn't he train them that way? Didn't he help them when they couldn't get the demon out? Didn't he step in and help that situation? Wasn't, wasn't that a teaching and a training too? So when Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, go everywhere and training them, he's saying, you set up your own training school. You set up your own 72 and 12 courses. You do the same thing. You've got to repeat this. This is, the, this is what the Spirit's here for. So the commission, the great commission of the church is to be like Jesus. The great commission on the church is to be like Jesus. The body of the Christ. The body of the anointed. So we can learn... Learn to minister like Jesus. Jesus wants us to learn. 
Think of the journey that I showed you from the beginning of Luke 9 to the middle of Luke 10. The journey of being sent and coming back and then getting confused about the feeding and then getting involved with the supernatural feeding program and then the revelation and then the mountain and then being able to cast out the demon and then being sent out again. He didn't say, I'll forget it, I'll start with another lot. He sends them out again, but with more. To see the journey of training, that God wants to take us all on that journey. God wants us all to begin that journey. So how would we do that? How would we begin to do that? Well, if we take the principle that we are sent in the power of the Spirit to do what Jesus did, then whenever we enter a town, enter a place of work, enter a neighbor's house, enter a shopping center, we enter it in the same way that the 12 and the 72 enter different places. We're looking... Jesus said in John's Gospel, I only, see what the fa- I only do what I see the Father doing. We're looking to see what the Father's doing. So if I'm representing Jesus in Tesco's, the great question to ask is, why have you sent me here, Lord, today? Why have you sent me to this place of work? Why have you sent me to this group of friends? Why have you sent me to this gym? Why am I here, Lord? What's the purpose of me being here? Or perhaps another way of putting it is, What do you want to do through me today, Father? Begin to ask the question. If we are sent, we're sent on the same agenda that Jesus and the 12 and the 72, the 120 of Pentecost, the church was sent. So what do you want to do here? When Jesus sent the 12 and the 72, he said to them, go and find the need. If there's a sick person, heal them. If there's a a troubled, a demonized person, set them free. Go and find the need. Meet the need that only the kingdom of God will meet. Meet meet that need. So ask the question, what's the need here that I can bring Jesus' ministry to? I can bring the gift of the Spirit that's on me to. In that context, it can be a, a question. How can I help? How can I pray? What's the thing you're facing? You can ask a question. You can also ask a question, Father, what are you doing? What's going on here? Holy Spirit, lead me. Guide me. You ask the question. Get the antenna up. Do, 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 do. Ears, spirit ears. What's the the Lord doing? What's God saying? Ask the question. What should I do? And begin to say, okay, I'm going to have to make a choice now. I'm going to have to act Peter, dead lady, prays, speaks, lifts her up. He had to act. A lot of Jesus' prayers are quite short. Walk, see, out. Quite direct, really. So, So what should I do? I need to make a choice about how I now bring the rule of the king into this context. And then... You could ask yourself, what's happening? Well, the, the fish are multiplying. There seems to be more. There's something going on here. What's, what's God doing? Begin to, what's, what's happening around me? I've, I've, I've stepped out. I've made a choice. I've made a decision to act. I've acted. What's going on? What are you showing me, Lord? Are you moving? Are you speaking? Have I got, are you saying something to me? Notice I'm not, I'm not, this isn't Sunday morning at 15 minutes past 12. 
No, just after the sermon. This is this is Wednesday at seven in the evening in the pub. You know, it, 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 context is out there, not internally mainly. What what what's what what you're doing, Lord? And then you might say, Well, what do I do next then? Something's happening. Oh, thank you very much. That's very oh gosh, I'm causing a flood. Um what do I do next? So you, you ask the Lord, well, 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 where do I go from here? What do I do next? And you begin to learn to walk with the Lord. And you just follow the Lord in those moments. Now, we're going to try this in a minute. It's a seminar. We're going to try some things in a minute. But before we do that, let me just, in this context, give you a little bit of a, uh, if you like, a, a different theology or a, an expanded theology around spiritual gifts. So spiritual gifts, healing, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, or th- you know, uh, discernment of spirits. Uh, we're familiar with those ideas, that those are gifts. Now, if I'm in a situation, I walk into town, part of the 72, I walk into a town, I come to a family, there's a, uh, a child that can't see, um, and I need a gift. What do I need? I need a gift of faith, I need a gift of healing, I might need a bit of wisdom to handle it. All of a sudden... Let me, let me put another way. I've got a leaking tap. I phone a plumber. A plumber comes to my house. He looks at the tap. He thinks, oh, I need a couple of wrenches and a spare washer, and I'm going to need a rag because I need to go into my toolkit to get the stuff out to fix the problem. Yeah? So what if spiritual gifts are the toolkit to enable me to bring the ministry of Jesus that's needed into this person's life at this moment. I need a word of wisdom. I need a word of knowledge. I need a gift of healing. I need a discernment because I need to cast out a demon. I, I, I just need to be able to say something loving and kind and show generosity. I need something from the Spirit to bring the kingdom to this person that I've been sent to serve as a delegate, as an ambassador of King Jesus. So spiritual gifts aren't things that happen two-thirds of the way through the worship and at the end of the meeting. Spiritual gifts are the toolkit I carry around to do the ministry of of Jesus in day-to-day life. So therefore, being empowered by the Spirit becomes a whole load more interesting and a whole load more exciting and a whole load more day-to-day. Because all of a sudden, I'm out there in the world carrying the anointing of God, I've got what I need in my toolkit to do what Jesus is putting before me. Why am I here today, Lord? Oh, my word, that person needs some mercy. I've got to get a gift of mercy. I'm reaching into the Spirit, Lord. Help me meet this person's need. And this gift of generosity, gift of healing, a gift of a story about how Jesus loves you. And all of a sudden, we get caught up in a different realm where... When the demon says, have you come to destroy us? Answer, oh yes. <laughs> We've come to bring Jesus' rule here. We've come to turn this place on earth to look a little bit more like heaven. The kingdom of God prayer. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Does that make sense? So this now is where we get to practice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get us to stand. And... I'm just going to invite the Spirit to move, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do much work. You're going to do the work, okay? 
So we're just going to break this little West Point rules here. You don't have to have a ministry team badge to get involved. Okay? Everybody can play. So we're going to invite the Spirit of God to come down and just give you a few directions. Well, let's just stand before the Lord. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you fell on Jesus at his baptism and you fell on the church at Pentecost and you're still here now. Thank you that you were moved with compassion, that you were power wrapped in love, that you reached out to the brokenhearted, the individual and the crowds. Now, Lord, come amongst us. Please come amongst us by your power. Come amongst us by your power, Lord, now. Now, let's just, just wait for the Lord. Lord. Right, so just let the Lord rest on you. Sense his spirit moving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, what I feel would be the appropriate thing I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for anybody, like anybody to be prayed for who, who requires or has a healing need here. So some sort of healing. That can be a physical need or it can be a, an emotional, mental health need. But you, if you're here and there's a sense of I've got a healing need in my mind or in my body in some shape or form. I, if that is you, would you raise your hand? Okay, now keep your hands raised. Uh, now that is about half of us. So um, the way we're going to do this, okay, is I would like um, all those of you who haven't got your hands up to look around. Everybody else can keep your hands up. All those who ha haven't got their hands up to look around. I'd like you to try and pair up with somebody who's got their hands up, okay? So you have to move around now. And go and pair up with them. If there isn't enough people sufficient to meet these needs, then one of you with your hands, go and find somebody who's also got their hands up and pray with them and then they'll get to pray with you, okay? So maybe you could just make sure we're all... Anybody not got anybody with them? Keep your hand up. Okay, so if you're going to have to... If you, but you could form a three and make sure you all pray. Okay, now don't do any praying yet, okay? So the prayers now, listen to me. If you're going to do the praying, you listen to me. First thing I want you to do is ask, what hurts? Now you're, you're not about to become a GP or anything like that. You just need to know, my knee hurts. Don't need a diagnostic of, oh, I've, I've got a medial meniscus tear or anything like that. Just, my knee hurts. 
or I've got a challenge in this area of my mind. All you need is a little description, okay? And then you're going to pray. I want you to lay hands. If it's appropriate, it's physical, put your hand on the part of the body that's hurting. If it's something else, just put your hand on the shoulder or top of the head. Okay, that's how I want you to pray. And what I want you to do is to pray, well, what I want you to do is just to, to pause before the Lord and see if the Lord speaks to you about how to pray. He may say, speak to the sickness to go. He may tell you to invite the spirit to move. If he doesn't specifically give you any guidance on how to pray, simply pray, Lord Jesus, please bring healing now. Holy Spirit, come. Now, when you're praying, I want you to pray with your eyes open. Okay, I want you to watch and see if you observe anything. Sometimes there can be a, a phenomenon, a physical manifestation of what's happening internally that just will help you. It doesn't always happen, but sometimes it's good. So if it's good, sometimes to pray with your eyes open. You can close them and then open them. But do observe what God's doing. So you're no good praying from behind. Best to pray looking at a person. Does that make sense? Okay, so you invite the sp and you pray. And then if you've prayed the prayer you feel God's given you, stay. Don't just think, oh, I've done my job. Just stay and linger. See if the Lord directs you anymore. Pray a little bit more, Lord. Come and please bless this person. Please help this person. What I want most of all is the person you're praying for to experience being loved. If they get healed, even better, but they can experience being loved. Does that make sense? All clear about what you're doing? Where does it hurt? Lord, how should I pray? You see, you're listening to the person, listening to the Lord. Prayer engagement. Engage with prayer. Eyes open, check what's going on. If I can see happening, maybe there's something that just a sign that God's moving, really encourages both, helpful. Okay, then pray a little bit more. Do that and then I'll tell you what to do next. Okay, try that. That's it. Thank you, Lord. 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 Remember to look, ask the Lord, what's going on? Is there a way I need to pray? If you're praying, you may sense the Spirit moving. Okay? 
Sometimes as a prayer, you'll experience a sense the Spirit's moving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. If you're receiving prayer and you feel God's saying something to you and it's appropriate, tell the person who's praying for you what God's doing. Okay? You can interact. If you're praying, speak to the person who you're praying for. Do you feel any better? What do you think God's doing? Okay. Is it any better? Is it improved? Ask that question. God's moving all around the room. Once you've got the information, go back to praying. Don't need to talk for too long, but go back to praying. There's a story where Jesus was praying for a blind man. Prayed for the blind man. Jesus said, what do you see? He says, people that look like trees. Jesus prayed a second time, and then the person was completely healed. Jesus prayed more than once for some people. So we can too. Let healing fall, I pray, in Jesus' name. Right around this room now, let healing fall, in Jesus' name. Freedom, in Jesus' name. Oh, come on, Lord, more power. More power. Keep praying, folks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord. If you're in a pair where there's two of you needing prayer, swap round if you haven't swapped round. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay. If you finish praying, can I grab your attention?
and just turn to me for a minute. Let's just, who, who, who would say they've experienced a sense of God's presence as they've been prayed for? So let's put your hand up and wave me if you felt like you had experienced a sense of God's presence. That's, that's a good number of us. Probably the majority of us are saying, yeah, I've experienced a sense of God's presence. That's great, isn't it? Okay, put your hand up if you feel like you've seen some sort of improvement. So maybe it was like it hurt on eight and now it hurts at two. Yeah, so you know, let's see, we've got a few hands waved up. Okay, so we've got a few people. So there's a few people saying I've got some sort of healing, some sort of improvement. That's great, isn't that great? That's fantastic. Some of us, not yet. Okay, so if you've not yet experienced it, let's try once more. Let's pray again. Okay, so the learning curve. Do you remember the story? There was a learning curve. There was an experience of growing in faith. God's here. We're experiencing his presence. Some people are seeing some improvement. Okay, turn and pray. Let's pray again for the same condition. Pray again. Ask God to bring healing. We're trying to learn. This is about learning. Learning to minister to like Jesus. So we need to learn. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing here. We bless you for the sense of your presence. Father, I pray you take us on a journey of learning that we would learn to walk with you. That we'd learn to minister like you did on this earth. We'd learn to see the captive freed, the sick healed, those oppressed by demons being set free. And Father, we will bring the good news of the kingdom, that you are king, and that people would turn and follow you. Amen. Amen. So my goal today has been to give you a rationale for why we can learn to minister like Jesus, to give you a theological rationale and a little bit of a hint of how to start. The real seminar begins when you walk out of this tent and begin to walk through life saying, what is Jesus doing here? 
how can I get involved? Because God's what called God's called us to do to do the very same things that Jesus did in the very same way that Jesus did them. That it's power wrapped in love. That He went about doing good, bringing the kingdom, healing diseases, setting people free, seeing lives transformed, and we're commissioned to go and do the same. So the real fun is when the church gets to work rather than when the church gets together. So go have fun. Thank you for being here. Hope you had a great time. God bless you.